Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. You've got questions, and so do we. Well, believe it or not, this is our last episode of the entire first season of the Fellowship College Podcast. We made it through a whole season. How crazy is that? We're excited about it. Things have been fun. Great discussion, both in the booth and outside the booth. We love it. It's been wild. Speaking of outside the booth, a lot of people kind of want to know like what what we do with our free time. People are like, like, what do you do when you're not at a coffee shop? Is the question I mm. I get a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what what are y'all's hobbies? Like, what do y'all do in your free time? I wasn't prepared for this out, question. Out, outside the booth. Eilie <laughs> doesn't know. Eilie, no, <laughs> the whole point of today's episode <laughs> is shoot from the hip. <laughs> we literally just talked about this. It's a Q&A episode. We're just shooting from the hip. Can someone else answer the question? Yeah, that's uh, my my hobbies include, uh, as of very, very recently, uh, golfing, which oh, I've yes. been talking with Josh about. Oh, and yeah. So I'm trying to get better at that, although now it's cold. So that makes yeah. it hard. Golf season's basically over. Yeah, it's over. Um, mountain biking. Love to get out on the bike. That's a little bit easier when it's cold. Yeah, you can get out. You just bundle up. You'll be all right. Yeah. Um, and then fly fishing. So all things outdoors. Yeehaw. I love the outdoors. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeehaw are my hobbies. Like I'm yeehaw. from Gravit if you didn't know. No, 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 no. The oh. yeehaw of affirmation. Thank you. Not a, okay. no, I appreciate yeah. it. The best day of my life was when I saw Jacob on stage kind of before one of the services and he was practicing his golf swing, <laughs> which if you're a golfer, you do that. Like that's when I know I knew like, oh, he's made it. It's serious. He's practicing his golf swing on stage before a service. I'm like, we're going to be friends. This is good. This is really good for us. Those are my hobbies. Eileen, you can't say that you don't have hobbies because we know that you've just picked up a new hobby. Woobles. (laughs) (laughs) Guys. Okay. I'm off the wooble train already. Bro, I I was basically like two days and I was over I did eight stitches and I am done. I ordered this $40 wooble. (laughs) Eileen, what is a wooble? Um, It's a little... Uh, animal question mark uh, that you crochet that you crochet yeah yeah um i'm not a fan i'll say it oh, I, no. I tried it was like too hard it was too hard and they started for you <laughs> man i did i did tough. eight of the stitches and then they wanted me to do more and I, my hands were hurting yeah and you have to like hold it right <laughs> nah that yeah, ain't what it. is this like power grip that <laughs> they have here? <laughs> yeah um so woobles are not my hobby but i like to read what are you um, reading right now? Like, what books are you reading? Um, okay. Pierce Brown has this series called Red Rising. It's oh, weird. yeah. It's weird. It's sci-fi, no, but it is that. so good. And he is the best author I've ever read. So I'm reading his books. And then um, just reading a lot of, um, well, my seminary textbooks, which actually I haven't really been reading, but it's on my mind. Like, I have to, you know. But you I have to answer them, the questions that say, I've read the assignment. Oh, I know. And I've read it by the due date. Oh, That's yeah. all seminary and I, So I will be reading the books, but, okay. you know, give me some time. I have <laughs> until December 22nd, and that's when I have to check that box saying I did read those books. <laughs> we believe in you. You got this. Thank you. I like to read one fiction book and one nonfiction book at a time. I think I'm going to go back to, to Narnia. Mm. I'm reading Pilgrim's Progress right now, but I think I'm going to go back to, to Narnia. 
feel like it's time. It's good. Most, it's your hobby? No, my hobbies are <laughs> golf and disc golf. That's all I all I think about. I, I'm practicing my swing at all moments of the day. I'm changing my swing constantly. And so this season where it gets really cold, like all jokes aside, I get seasonal depression because of my hobbies. I'm mm. like, everything I love to do is outside mm-hmm. and it's snowing. While we're recording this episode right now, there is snow on the ground and Ailey loves it and I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, this is, I'm like, we need a, we need a summer home or a winter home in Los Angeles. Uh, you got to start woobling again, dude. Yeah. <sighs> That's what you got to do over the winter months. Did you ever complete a woo? No. Oh, never mind. I completed the body. And then it was like, now you have to make from scratch this tail and these arms. And I was like, yeah, I made the body. It was like a blob and I'm, <laughs> I'm done. And it's like, you like doing all this work and it's like two inches. Like it's like the smallest thing ever. You're like I did hours of work for this blob, this, this blob that doesn't look anything like Fred the dinosaur. Aww. Okay, Joanna, what are your hobbies? Um, you know, I was really hoping to get into woobling. No, but don't do it. now I've been discouraged. You can yeah. take mine. <laughs> okay, okay. I do I'll have a, I actually have one at home that you can just have. I might that has not even been opened it. yet. Okay, maybe I'll love it. I don't know. Pierre. I'll try it. Oh, Pierre. Yeah. That's the one I have. Oh, okay. Oh, cute. Y'all can do it together. What is Pierre? He's a penguin. A penguin. Cute. Right. Okay. All right. I might borrow it. Um, woobling aside, um, maybe this is a boring answer, but I do music for my job, so it is a job, but music is also a hobby for me still. Like, it's different when I'm at home just doing it for fun and then when I'm, like, doing it for work. So I think that's still – it's there's a separation there. Music is still a hobby for me. Um, that and a lot of my hobbies are outdoors, I think, like hiking, camping, and we just, like, passed prime camping season mm. and now it's snowing, so. Ugh, we all so need no better <laughs> indoor hobbies. We got to figure that out. It's yeah. too nature you know. I know. Oh, how about – a golf simulator. What if we have a golf simulator at Fellowship? Please. <laughs> It'd be great donation money. Your tithe, your tithes are going to a great spot here at Fellowship. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyways, so for those of you that, that don't know, this last episode we have uh, compiled your questions that you submitted, whether that was on Sunday night or following like our link. And so we have some questions that we're going to talk about today. And then any questions that we don't get to, we're going to have a, an entire Q&A service at the end of the semester. And so we're just going to, like I said earlier, shoot from the hip. Like these are going to be kind of rapid fire. We're going to try and get through as many as possible. And so if you're like, man, I wish they would have spent more time on this question or that question, totally get it. That's not the point of today. Follow up with us. We would love to talk more in depth and depth and detail on some of these, but today we're just going kind of like rapid fire through some of these. And so we're just going to kind of go in order of what, what we kind of saw on our Google sheet. And so the first question, we're starting with a good one. Do aliens exist? Are aliens real? I love that somebody asked that question. <laughs> we said, great... ask us questions, and I said, here's the thing. I got to know if aliens exist. <laughs> it's, a gra- it's a great question. That's a great question. Um, you know, I love watching the, uh, like, you know, the, the U.S. military. They're coming out, and they're like, hey, there's this thing, but, like, we're not going to affirm or deny that it's the And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, aliens. It's kind of drama, which I like. Um, there was another UFO spotted this week. Where? In the sky. 
Josh. Oh my goodness. Nice. Um, uh, I personally don't think that there's enough evidence to point to aliens and say, yes, aliens exist. However, if they did, and all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, look, all these aliens that live way out there in space, it wouldn't really bother me. So that'd be kind of cool, I think. If they did exist, would they fall into the category of every tongue tribe and nation? And therefore, do we need yeah, to that's evangelize my question. to them? Or would no. they be more of like these like angelic beings? Well, I don't know. I don't think, personally, I don't think they exist, even though Peter calls us strangers and aliens in this world. We're actually the aliens. We're the- True. I think I just got saved. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody baptized me quick because we're the aliens. That's the gospel right there. And so, but we're talking about extraterrestrials. I, I don't think they exist. I get the whole argument of like, well, the cosmos is expansive for billions and billions and billions of light years away. And and so the odds that they're that we're the only life source on in all those galaxies, they're like the odds are are very, very small that that we're the only life source. I get that argument. I understand that. But the purpose of the cosmos and the galaxies and, and the universe is to point to the glory of God. And so if there were aliens, their purpose would be the same as our purpose, mm, would be good. to point to God's glory. See, I made this kind of like Christian yeah, that's again. Good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's a good theological take on that. Yeah. I mean, none of us are scientists except Eileen, so. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, wow, all of y'all looked at me, okay. <laughs> but uh, have aliens evolved, Eileen? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Did they come from primates as well? Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're not getting into that. Go <laughs> listen to the evolution episode. <laughs> We'll be talking more about that in season two oh. to be continued. <sighs> and any final thoughts on aliens before we move <laughs> no. on? We're just kind of, again, rapid all. fire. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another hot topic. Like, this is the one that y'all have been wanting all season long, all year long. You're, you've been dying to know this. There's been movies made about this question mm-hmm. Do dogs go to heaven? <laughs> Joanna, do they, <laughs> do they do it? Do, are there. Do dogs go to heaven? Do all dogs go to heaven? Only the good ones. Um, they're all good ones. I don't, <laughs> they're all good boys. I, they're all good boys. Um, one sexist. Two, they're they're, they're not all good. All good. Doggies. They're um, not all good. <laughs> okay. Will there be dogs in heaven? Yes. Nice. I could don't right. Yeah. No, that's right. Don't you think yeah. there will be dogs in heaven? Yeah. Will your Will your dog be in heaven? That's where it gets. Well, well have you fuzzy. met Have you met Yankee? Oh, <laughs> my dog. No, <laughs> I mean there'll be golden doodles in heaven for sure. Oh, there should be. Like golden doodles are heaven touching earth. Yeah, yeah, dude, <laughs> I agree. Will there be pitbulls well, in heaven? Oh yes, yes. Y'all like pitbulls? Yes. Oh, oh I my want goodness, one so bad. Oh, they are gosh. adorable. They're little sweet angelic faces. I'm serious. What? They're so no, cute. I'm following you. Jana. They're cute. I'm with you. Jacob, what do you feel? What do you feel about I, this? I'm an Australian Shepherd guy. So oh, okay, well. I grew up with an Australian Shepherd. I can They're kind of crazy, but I love them. Yeah, I believe it. They're so cute. I just think all dogs are cute. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, crazy. I think there there will be dogs in heaven. This is recreated earth. God created mm-hmm. all these things for us to enjoy, have dominion over. We're going to rule and reign along. But how are him. dogs going to float in clouds with us? How are we? How are we? <laughs> they, do they get wings too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, I don't think your dog's going to heaven. Yeah. You just mean most people. You're not talking to me, right? I'm, I'm talking directly <laughs> to you, John. I've met Yankee. <laughs> Oh. No, oh. absolutely. You've never cuddled with Yankee. Though. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yankee is a great cuddler. I'll say it. Eilie dog sits. I and, do dog sit oh. for Yankee. Yeah, good dog. Okay, I'll agree. My dog will probably not be in heaven. I'll say it. But there will be dogs in heaven. There will be animals in heaven. Heaven will be, as we talked about earlier, heaven will be a lot like the lives we live right now, without the brokenness, without the sin without any barriers between us and a relationship with with God. And so it's gonna be it's gonna be a great place. It's gonna be really fun. And the pit bulls will be really sweet. Yes they will. There'll yeah. be no no dog attacks, no dog violence. Yeah. So speaking of heaven, <laughs> moving moving on, this is a little more serious. Um another question regarding heaven was how did people get to heaven? Or you can just say this kind of like a soteriology question. How did, which is just a study of salvation, how did people get saved before Jesus? If salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, before Jesus, how did people get to heaven? It's a great question. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, I, as I was thinking about this, um, I stumbled upon a John MacArthur quote actually, and I feel like he said it. Hey, I, I feel like he said it pretty well. So. I just watched a YouTube. Never mind. I'm not going to talk about. John oh MacArthur. gosh. Okay. So we'll then I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote, and then you can tell me what you think about it. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. That's, okay. Great. Okay. that's great. John says the means for salvation has always been the same: faith. And at any given point in the unfolding revelation of the word of God, salvation came through faith, believing God. Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. What did he believe? He believed as much as God had revealed. And God had revealed even by that time that he was sinner and that the only savior was God and that God would pay the penalty for his sin. Now he didn't understand all there was to know about Jesus Christ, but he understood enough to know that he was a sinner and needed a savior and God would provide a savior. That is why it says in Hebrews 12 that Moses could first foresee Christ, even Moses. Mm. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great quote. Yeah. It's talking about faith Mm -hmm. that, that in the old Testament before Jesus was revealed, they didn't really know like who this savior, who this Messiah Messiah was. They didn't have a name associated with it, but they they had these promises, right? All the way back to Genesis 12, Abraham gets this promise that from your offspring, there'll be people, land, and worldwide blessing from your from your offspring. And that quote that MacArthur was talking about was Romans 4. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. So Paul's talking about salvation by faith. Mm-hmm. And it talking about Abraham, it says, no unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And so it says, but, but, 
it's not only counted to him as righteousness, but it is also counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He's kind of combining the two. For Abraham, it was God promised that he would bring this offspring, this salvation through his offspring. And Abraham, through faith, clung to that, said, I, I believe God is able to do what he promised. And that was counted as righteousness, and that is why we'll see Abraham in heaven someday. Us today, we know who that offspring actually is. We have a, a name to that. We know that that offspring that was supposed to bring this worldwide blessing, his name is Jesus. He's, like, he's the Son of God, the Messiah. And so now we look to Jesus through faith that the promise to Abraham, God's promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And so now when we look to Jesus in faith, now that's counted to us as righteousness in the same way faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Yeah, that's really good. That, yeah, I think that passage answers this question perfectly, honestly. it's It always has been faith in God, your faithfulness to God, trusting God that he will deliver you. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. And that's exactly what God, what Yahweh as the Jews knew him as was doing for them as well. And so fill in that category, then you're with God after you die and you will be in the recreated earth. And so this wasn't one of the questions, but this is actually a question I've gotten two times in the last two weeks. That's very applicable to this, to this topic. And especially with MacArthur's quote, talking about the information that you're given, like, mm. like being faithful with the information that, that God gives to you. The question I get all the time is, what about the people on these unreached islands, these native tribes that have never heard about Jesus? So they're living right now in this moment today, but they've never heard about Jesus. What happens to them? That's a really good question and a really hard question for sure. That's uh, Paul also addresses that topic um, where, you know, if you ask a question like that, you really have to start at what is true of us already. And that is that we, we are all in this state of rebelling against God um, and that there, there are, there's natural just consequences that come from that. Uh, but God throughout all of our history, since the very beginning has been pursuing us, he's been running us down to try to bring us out of that. Uh, and so there's an aspect of, man, it's really hard, but whenever people are continuously rebelling against God, even though God and all of his creation, Paul would say has, has given demonstration of his existence, um, that there, there is that consequence of, man, you're not going to be with God uh, if you don't turn to him. And part of the part of the, our new aspect of ruling and reigning with God, it's not even new, it's kind of just a new spin on it since Jesus is that we as believers are meant to go take this message about this truth to those unreached places. That's why we're sending people overseas as global workers and we're trying to go to the, the most unreached places in the world. Uh, and so it, the fact remains, it's, you know, even the Old Testament, 
God chooses Abraham, creates Israel as a nation to be a witness to all of the other nations around them who were rebelling against God so that they would see and come to know, understand the truth and pledge their allegiance to God. It's in the, it's, we're in the same circumstance, but now we do have that knowledge of Jesus. So it's kind of been the same since the beginning. So if someone on one of those tribes, let's say Romans 1 talks about all creation, like you're saying, has like God has made himself known to them through creation, yet in their rebellion, they worship and serve the creation instead of the creator. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what has, has caused them to be, uh, like, uh, I can't think of the right word. That's what's caused them to be like, you got it. (laughs) Describe this word. Like they're not going to heaven. I'm just trying to think like that's what's caused them to be. um, Well, they're unjust before God. Yeah, they're unjust. Paul's talking about this idea of being justified before God. And that's only by putting your your faith in God. Um, Yes. Whether that's pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. And so if they are not putting their faith in God, they're putting their faith in, you know, for a more pagan, pre-Christian, animistic, and these spirits that, and some of them, I, I mean, like real spiritual beings that are like deceiving them yeah. um, or more, maybe more secular. It's just faith in I'll, I can do this myself, a yeah. naturalistic worldview. This isn't the word I was looking for, but it's, it's just what, at least what's caused this broken relationship with them and, and God mm-hmm. is them seeing God and rejecting him and worshiping his creation rather than the creator. But what if someone on one of these islands or tribes like, sees God revealed through creation and does worship God, but doesn't know Jesus. Can that person be saved? Or in light of what we know in the New Testament and the revelation of of Jesus as Messiah, Savior, the Son of God, do they also now need to know that and worship Jesus as God in order to go to heaven? Gosh, um, I feel like this is a topic that's that's debated a little bit because you read passages that mm-hmm. say, you know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can, can come to the Father except through me. Um, and I feel like this is a similar argument for do babies go to heaven, you know? And I think when we look at... Um, do, like baby, the, do babies go to heaven? I would say yes. Um, but I know that there are people who say no. Um, and I, I think that if we look at the different types of revelation that the Lord has given us, yes, we have his word. Um, and then we have creation, like you mentioned, Josh, and we, we can see that in, um, Psalm 19, Romans one. And then we have, um, the incarnation of Jesus physically on this earth. And I think the, the revelation of God through creation, like if someone is in one of these far off tribes and and they don't know the name of Jesus, they've never um, read the word of God. Um, but they know that there is a God, Oh gosh. Um, I would say from my understanding of the character of God, he knows whether or not this person is, is yielding to him as the creator. And so I would same argument for someone who is in this tribe who has never heard the the name of Jesus. Same for a baby. I would say that because of my understanding of God's character, that they would be saved, that the Lord would know if they were yielding to him or not. Um, but I would also say that the Lord 
Yes, he uses people primarily to share his word, but I have heard incredible stories of the Lord revealing himself to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Dreams, visions. Yes, through dreams and and visions and things like that. And so um, just because a human being isn't the one communicating to another human being that Jesus is the way, um, God can still work. Yeah, I think that's, that's really well said. And one of the things I think we need to remember when we're talking about this is a lot of times we're talking about salvation, and I've got another question along those lines in a second, is some some of us, sometimes we we look at it as God's trying to keep as many people out as possible, and if you somehow crack the code, then okay, he'll like reluctantly let you in, where in scripture we see that he desires all to be saved, like he wants he wants as many people in heaven as possible. Like he doesn't, but and we're going to talk about this in a second when we talk about free will, God's sovereignty. But when we think about these questions, we have to remember that God is not just like this gatekeeper that's just trying to keep as many people out as possible. He wants, he desires all to be saved. He's revealing himself to all creation, but. He's not going to force people to to follow him. And that's where we get into this next question of free will versus election or God's sovereignty. That was asked multiple times. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're going through Romans 8 right now, which does bring up those same questions. Jacob, two days before us recording this, just talked about the passage about those whom he foreknew, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he called, those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. And so what do we do with this? Are those of us who are saved, is it because God chose us, God elected us, he predestined us, or where does free will fit into the equation? Yeah, this is... uh... Like you said, people ask this a lot, um, and for good reason. I mean, this is like a this is a huge topic, and it's it's kind of just how we think about things oftentimes, especially in our culture, how we're wired. Um, and but even before getting into like the idea of election, predestination, those types of things, if you're just asking, does free will exist? You kind of have to clarify. Well, what do you mean? Most of the time, if somebody's asking that, they are either asking, does free will exist? As in, am I actually freely currently picking up my coffee mug or did God cause that to happen? Is he like pulling the strings to make me do that for some greater purpose? Um, or the other aspect of free will is Josh Moore, kind of what you're talking about is do we have a, this sense of freedom to choose God or are we being, uh, influenced to an kind of inescapable way of choosing him? Uh, and so the first one with free will, it's like, no, well, some some people might disagree with me on this, but yes, it's like complete free will as we live our lives. It's like we are making decisions and God is working with those decisions. That's just a theme like all throughout scripture. Uh, even I think of like uh, Cain and Abel. So right after uh, the whole Adam and Eve story, it's like they have these children and God tells Cain, hey, sin, this evil power that's trying to coerce you away from me and living the way I've designed us to live is, is crouching. It's, it's praying. It's like wanting to get a hold of you. Don't let it. He tells Cain, don't let him, don't let this happen. 
but then Cain does let it happen and he ends up out of anger killing Abel. Uh, and so that right there, it's like a huge choice of is Cain going to decide to kill his brother because he's angry or is he going to say, no, actually, I better not. Uh, and God tells him, hey, you, you have this choice. It's like you can either let it get you or you can't. Um, and so that's a big thing. But no, God, he's not just puppeteering every single thing that we do. But then you get into the more weighty discussion of, OK, with salvation and things like that. And th- there's a spectrum, you know, people argue about it constantly. You have a more what people call a Calvinistic view, which is uh, you have absolutely no ability to choose God um, in any capacity because you, you're you so sinful. Uh, you Sin has completely taken over your nature so much that there is no possible way that you could. And so God has to completely intervene to awaken you with the spiritual life that even allows you to be able to say, yes, I want to follow. They talk about like Ephesians two, where it says Mm -hmm. you are dead in your trespasses and sins, Yeah, but God being rich in mercy, kind of this like Lazarus moment Mm -hmm. of like, well, Lazarus didn't, didn't like raise himself from the dead. He didn't choose to come alive as only if you're dead, you don't have any decision in it. Mm -hmm. And so that's like the, the Calvinistic view. Yeah. And with that view comes something called double predestination. We're not going to spend too long on this. We might have next season a whole episode on yeah. on this. But then you have this, this idea was called double predestination, which, well, if God chooses completely without free will, uh, like without any responsibility or choice of your own who's saved, then you also have to hold that he chooses who goes to hell. Mm -hmm. And so where's the human responsibility in that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really tricky. And, and one, one thing to think about um, for those of you who are are wondering about this question about free will, especially in the concept of um, being saved, being with God uh, forever is that this is a, an aspect of how God works in people's lives and experientially it can look a lot different like as we experience this. And we, as people, have tried to wrap our minds around how God's working in this manner. And we've given uh, explanations and um, kind of systems as to, okay, it seems like God does this and this based on what we see in Scripture and what we see in our lives. And we can only grasp it so much. And so whatever position somebody takes, there's going to be some holes in it. Like nobody's really going to have like the the most spot on view um, here, here's my take. I'll just give you my take on, because there's, there's so many from the hip. Yeah. From the <laughs> hip. Here we go. Uh, there's so many opinions my take is that as I, as I read through all of scripture, I'm thinking through the theme of how God is coming alongside us. He, he calls us to come alongside him to rule and reign. He's working with the decisions that we are making. Um, we by nature are sinful, like left to our own. We are going to choose at some point to rebel against God and we will frequently choose to do so. Uh, and so because of that, we left completely to our own, are not able to, on our own volition, just just be like, oh, God, I realize all these things. It takes God initiating in some capacity. We see that from the beginning. God initiated with Adam and Eve, Abraham, all, all the way through Jesus, Paul, as he talks about God's pursuing us. Uh, and so there's, there's a uh, not not coaxing, but like this, he's using the the spirit, drawing, is, yeah, us, drawing in. us, and saying, "Hey, look, look, look at these consequences of your life. Look at me, kind of the taste and see type of aspect. We experience that, uh, and through that, we do, in my opinion, have the freedom and the ability to either 
reject or accept that call that God makes on our life. There's a responsibility. There, yes. Yeah. There's a responsibility and it is, yeah. And it is one that is, man, I, I myself as a person with a spirit have the ability to accept or reject that. Uh, some people will bring up, well, okay, well, if you do that, then you're, that's part of like working, like you've done something for your salvation. And I don't think, I think that's silly, uh, personally. Um, but we do have that ability. And when you bring in the aspect of, okay, well, how do you handle this predestined and elect language? Uh, the only couple of things I'll say on that right now, and again, we'll get into this next season, is that a lot of that we have to read in the lens of corporate and not to just individual. We're really quick to jump to individual. And so it's more nuanced than oftentimes. It's kind of our it culture right now. Yeah, our culture. The Bible is written in a very community-centered perspective and we live in a very individual centered like society. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's a nuance. And then the other aspect of it is, uh, to whenever we think about, okay, we've been predestined to something. Um, talked about this in, in Romans eight, the question you have to answer is that group that is predestined to this being conformed into the image of Jesus, being a part of God's family how does one get into that group? That's kind of the the bottom line answer that you have to ask. Um, and so I'll leave it at that just because, I mean, we could spend two hours just discussing this right now. Um, yeah, but my take is there is a true, real free will where we are choosing to answer God's call or not to choose to answer God's call. And God wants us to choose God's call. And that works in tandem with God's providence to work out his plan of redemption. Here's where I'd push back on that a little bit. I think free will exists. I think we see that throughout Scripture. I think we see this this theme that God desires all to be saved, like we talked about. That, like he he's not trying to keep anybody out of heaven, and he makes himself known to all creation in in one way or another. And so there is a human responsibility. There's a choice that comes to that. And so there's free will in that. And I think that that speaks to the character of God. He doesn't want it to be some dictator or make us robots that like he gives us choice and, and responsibility and free will. But where I'll push back is that God's sovereignty, and we see this, I don't think we see this in every situation, but we do see this in some situations where he can and sometimes does completely override the free will. And that's where we got to step back in a little bit of like humility and awe and just be like, there's definitely situations where he just says, I mean, Paul is like Mm -hmm. the classic example. I mean, he doesn't really give Paul a choice. It's like road to Damascus, like blinding light. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Here's what you're going to do. Go like this, like, it's almost like, okay, you don't, you don't have a choice. And I've heard testimonies like that where it's like, hey, I was choosing everything else, like opposing God in every single way. And then it's almost in like, just in a blink of an eye, God's like, nope, you're following me. And so I want to hold that intention that God has the ability and the, like, he has the right to override our free will. I don't think he does that all the time. I don't think it's like it happens in every situation. I think you listen to some testimonies and it it feels like, hey, wow, you really 
like wrestled for a long time with these things. And some people are like, man, God just like flipped the switch. And I'm like, okay, I'm all in following. So I think in everyone's story, there is this tension between election and free will. And I think a great verse um, to kind of see this tension, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about in his own life. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So talking about, okay, God, it's God's grace. He says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but God's grace that is with me. It's kind of a verse that kind of shows this tension of like, it's only by God's grace, but but there's also responsibility. There's also, he worked hard. Like there's also some sort of free will involved in it as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's a, that's a nuance of yeah. that experience of some people get knocked off their horse. Some people it's like, man, God kind of wooed me into himself. So anyone that stands only in one camp, like only free will, only election, only like there's nothing, no free will. We're going to try and like shepherd you towards, towards some tension towards, towards a middle ground here. Ladies, anything to add to that? We kind of, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. I think another thing, Jacob, that you mentioned on Sunday was that it's hard for us to perceive or really understand this tension as beings that are like locked inside time and we can't understand anything outside of it. Um, and how we see our lives like in a linear way of us making decisions and one thing after another, but the Lord sees it completely. I just not that way at all that there's, that there's also kind of this linear, he's walking with us, but that there's, that he knows before he's predestined that it's this, this view outside of time. And so to some degree, there's going to be a, I'm holding this loosely because I know I can't understand it from a human perception. Um, but that should be, I think, an exercise in, in trust and faith, knowing that the character of the Lord and that he is good. Um, and I don't think that should be like a, well, like, I can like choose to not deal with this or choose to not wrestle with this because I don't understand it. It shouldn't be a lazy, like I'm giving up on this. It should be a, I'm going to, to seek to know the heart of the Lord through this. Um, and should be something that we choose to wrestle with. I think. Yeah, that's really good. And we may never understand how God's election and providence interacts with our own free will. Like there is some mystery to that mm-hmm. as well. And so if God is sovereign over everything, if we believe, which we do, that God does have all power and does have all wisdom and does have the ability to override any situation, any circumstance, if he so chooses, why does he allow bad things to happen? Like on a macro level, why does he allow hurricanes and earthquakes and on a micro level why does he allow abuse and divorce and murder like why does he allow these things that everyone would agree are terrible terrible evil things if god has the ability to change those things why why doesn't he ain't that the question (laughs) um Keller in his book, Reason for God, has a whole chapter on this. So 10 out of 10, recommend you reading that. But um, I do just want to say I like the way that you phrased that, Josh, when you were talking about God's sovereignty and how God is the one who allows these things to happen. Um, Because I would argue that 
well, I, I have heard that some people say, oh, if God is all powerful, then he's the one causing this evil. And I think that also just plays into, well, human beings do have choices and because of our free will, um, evil does happen because of that, because we are sinful beings. And so that even just steps into that last question. But when it comes to why does God allow evil things to happen? Um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't think, <laughs> I, I think this side of heaven, we may not never know. Wow. We may not ever understand why some things do happen, but I don't think that is a reason to not believe in God or not believe in his goodness. And so I understand that I'm not going to completely answer this question, but I do just want to point out just because we can't understand why bad things are happening doesn't mean that there isn't a reason for those things happening. Um, and honestly, believing that things are um, unjust or morally wrong, like these these awful things that we see when it comes to rape or gun violence or um, natural disasters like hurricanes or earthquakes, um, when we say that they are bad, that is because we are understanding them from a moral understanding. And if, if you have morals, then that in it of itself points to a God. Um, because if you were to look completely from like a scientific standpoint, um, I mean, natural selection is, is allowing death to happen. And, and you can't say that it is good or bad for things to die or, um, bad things to happen. And so I don't know if this is making sense, but I think just the idea of something being bad or something being sad or just horrific points to the fact that there is a God. And in the end, we can have hope in restoration when Jesus returns. And I think that's something that we can hold on to as Christians that because of Jesus's suffering on the cross and in his resurrection, we can have hope that one day our earth will be restored. Um, whereas other religions can't hold to that, that restoration idea. So th that was a lot of thoughts. Those are good thoughts. <laughs> um, what are you guys thinking? Those are really, those are really good thoughts. Um, here, here's what I would say. I think what's important for us to understand is that God does care. Mm -hmm. A lot of people see God, maybe they wouldn't say it like this, but at least practically they experience God as, okay, he set creation in the motion and then sin happened. And so now we have all these terrible things and he's just kind of sitting back until he decides to come back again. I think God is actively at work, even in disaster. And, and he, he cares. I think he weeps with those who weep. I, I think Jesus is a perfect example of this. When he hears about Lazarus, his, his good friend Lazarus is, is dead and has been dead for a couple days. And he hears about it and he goes to their house and he just, Jesus sits there and, and weeps. He mourns over death because he knows that, that death, it shouldn't be like that. He sees the natural, something that happened because of brokenness in the world, sickness, death, decay, and he and he mourns over it. He's sad. He said, "This is this shouldn't be like this," and yet he then steps into it and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And I think that's just a snapshot of what God is doing right now. He sees the brokenness. He sees the pain. He sees the abuse. He sees death, and he he he's there in it with us. And he says he weeps with us. He says. I know it's not supposed to be like this. I know this is this is hard. I know this is sad. 
and he and he and he mourns, but he's actively working and he's he's coming back and he's going to restore and he's going to raise from the dead us creation all those things, and we just can't see that because of our our limited finite. We have this like small window of time that we see, and in his perspective, it's it's all part of this. Hey, it's not always going to be like this, and I'm and and this is going to be restored and redeemed and even in the suffering even in the hardship he's working all things for good like as as we see in Romans 8:28 like he's working even the worst things for good he's using that some of that we see I, I I look back at some of like the worst moments in my life and I see them as as wow God's God's work in my life that the worst seasons of my life have caused the most growth, have made me conform to the image of Christ more than than any other seasons. So I look back in, in a weird way with thankfulness for for hardships. Yeah. And I think just going off of that, a lot of times people will ask this question from places of really deep hurt. And so practically, if you're sitting with someone and they have just experienced a death or something really traumatic has happened to them, no matter what you say, I mean, even if you were to say, oh, well, you know, God's going to make it better. That's not going to help. That is not what you want to say in that moment. And, and I think just sitting there with them and listening and weeping with them is what we can do. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that's just something to remember when, when we're with our friends who are going through hardships. So one of these terrible things that, that we see in our world today, especially, with more and more frequency is suicide. We see people taking their own lives. And I know there's a plethora of reasons and each one is probably probably a little different. But one of the questions we got is a very, very real, very gritty question. Just said, is suicide a sin? And I'll even I'll even broaden this question a little bit. Can someone who commits suicide go to heaven? I would say yes, um, and just to bring in another voice, um, just recently, uh, Dr. Glenn Kreider, he's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, he um, made a comment about this, and he said that for someone to um, commit or complete suicide, they are not in a healthy mental state. Um, they are going through stuff that... Um, it is not the norm. And so for them to take their own life, um, he does not believe God would hold them accountable in that because they are not in, in their normal like mindset. Um, and I think that's pretty well said. And I would even say that, um, I mean, we see scripture that talks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if you are in Christ and if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, um, I don't think there is a sin that would um, then change your salvation. You know, like, oh, you were saved and now you're not saved because you you did this. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, even just setting aside like the really hard aspect of that question and the emotional part of it, um, generally it's like God's covenant with us through Jesus is not going to be just broken because of this one specific type of, um, I don't even want to call it sin, but there's one specific action. Um, it's like, yes, there's an aspect of your, there's taking life, 
Um, but again, like that professor said there, it's a, it's a different, there's a difference to it. Uh, I actually, at one point in my life had a really good friend that I was really close with who asked me this question and it was coming from a place because they had been struggling for a long time with, um, depression, like really bad anxiety. And, uh, I mean, was considering that. And so, and that was the first time that somebody had personally asked me that rather than just hearing people talk yeah. about it. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is like a heavy topic uh, to talk about. But yeah, the, I think the comfort is that this aspect of Josh, like what you're talking about, the bad, the evil in the world, the brokenness um, that we can often experience. Unfortunately, mental health is one of those things, whether it's a, a neurochemical imbalance, uh, whether it's some type of spiritual warfare torments, um, whether it's just situations in life that has caused like just crazy trauma that's just so hard to process that there's it seems like there's no way to get out of it you're just trying to alleviate uh the the hurt that's happening um none of those things are things that will break someone's covenant with jesus if they are in christ because they trust him uh so yeah i I don't think that that would be something to be considered keeping you out of god's presence whenever you do die yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I would even go as far to say, and again, I think to answer this question, like you do have to take some of the like personal situations out of it because it's, I mean, man, this is weighty, mm-hmm. heavy stuff. And so like, I think there is a, like a really like nuance. If, if you're actually walking with someone through this, like, I don't think this is the type, like, I don't think we need to be like super dogmatic about it. Mm-hmm. But in a podcast setting, I, I'd be fine saying, yeah, suicide, like I, I'm fine saying it's it's a sin like any other sin. Like, like yes, there's a lot of like mental things going, a lot of like unhealth part of it's like these these lies that we're believing and to commit suicide to some extent is to, to act on that, on those lies and on on those things. But is it an unforgivable sin? I feel like I kind of grew up hearing like, oh yeah, like it's an unforgivable sin because you don't have the chance to repent. Like, and I think that's where we get way off. And so like it is not an unforgivable sin. And there like there have been Christians who genuinely love Jesus, who are following him and just are racked with so much, so much depression, anxiety, and and they make this this decision and they're, they're with Jesus. And so like, I, I, I don't think we need to be too dogmatic about it, but, but like, we also need to make this conversation about, about like mental health and suicide. We need to at least open up more conversations about it. And so if nothing else, if you're listening to this and and you are dealing with some of these thoughts and you think, man, I, well, like, I can't talk to anybody about that because, you know, we don't talk about those type of things in the church. We don't talk about those things like in my small group or if I if if my pastor or small group leader or friend knew I was wrestling with this, man, then they would even doubt if I'm actually a Christian or they would think less of me. I hope if nothing else you hear, like, you're loved. You will not be thought less of for having these thoughts like this, this happens, like these thoughts come about. And so, Mm -hmm. so please go talk to someone, please open up and find someone that, that you trust and that you love. And I, and they will not think less of you 
because of it. And so talk to us if you need to, but mm-hmm. it's so heavy. Yeah. Let's take a deep breath. Okay. We're almost, we're almost done. I think we have one or two more questions left. We're going to kind of switch, switch gears a little bit. If we were famous and this was like a really famous podcast, we'd enter an, an ad break right now. And <laughs> we'd tell you about Midwestern seminary and we'd tell you about these new books that are coming out and give you a chance to breathe. We're about not woobles. about Woobles. Yeah. Woobles is <laughs> like, you know, DMS Woobles if you're listening, but we're not famous and there's only about a dozen people listening. <laughs> and so we're going to have our own transition here without ads. And we're going to talk about the question that gets asked more often than not. We saved it for last. Let's talk about singleness, dating, relationships, marriage. And so let's start with singleness. For those that are listening that are single, how do they do this well? What are some, even just some tips to live this single life well as a Christian? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I feel like it is a roller coaster of some days you can be feeling good. Like, okay, like I don't need a man. I don't need, you know, like go off sis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then some days you're like, I just want to be in a relationship. Especially when it gets cold, like it is right now. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I truly though, I think the greatest thing is having community surrounding you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having those people that you can be living life with and hanging out with. I mean, yeah, if you are by yourself in your home um, every single night of the week being all lonely, yeah, you're going to want another person. And so I think it's important just to have that community surrounding you that you can be spending time with. Um, And then at the same time, man, just asking yourself, hey, what lies am I believing about my singleness? Like, am I believing that like no one wants me? Am I believing that Uh, Being in a relationship would bring security um, and just pausing and asking yourself, hey, like, what am I believing? And then taking that to the Lord and being like, Lord, would you just help me in that? And would you um, just help me see the lies that I'm believing, but then also bring me comfort in this season and um, just allow this to bring me closer to you? So those are my my thoughts. That's good. How fun. Look at this table we have. We do have single, someone that's single, someone that's dating, someone that's newly married, I'd say. And then obviously expert level (laughs) married, you know, with a kid, dog, house, like, you know, just reach that expert level of Christianity. Because that's what it's about, right? Christianity is about marriage. Yes. Like until you get married, you're you're just a JV Christian. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think... (laughs) That's All, a joke. <laughs> it is a it is a joke, and I think it's an important joke to to notice because mm-hmm. we say it, but our Christian culture here, especially in the Bible Belt, operates like this: like, hey, yeah, you do your Christian thing, but you're really just looking for for that significant other, mm-hmm. and then you can really then you'll really be a part of the church. And I think that is absolutely toxic, mm-hmm. and yeah. even I go as far as to say, completely opposite of what Paul says. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about the beauty and the gift of singleness, all the opportunities that that you can have for ministry, for kingdom work, if you're single, that there are so many gifts that, that you have as a single person. He's like, don't waste this. Don't waste this season of singleness just looking for a relationship. He says, like, you have opportunities that married people don't have. And so make the most of it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And have fun with those opportunities with your friends. Um, I mean, I've gone on as a single guy, just crazy road trips where we pack up and leave at 4 PM drive to Utah overnight because we have some free time. It's like, you can't do that whenever you're married, speaking from somebody who isn't married. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of just really cool gifts within singleness, within that time period of your life to experience, to draw you closer to God. And a lot of it oftentimes is with other people. And so then on the relationship side, so one of the questions we, we got asked this time, I'm sure there'll be a lot more next time, but the specific question we got asked about relationships is, is there any reason not to marry someone if you both follow Jesus? The root of this question is there are, are people in the spot, Christian spotlight that would say, all you need, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> all, all you need, if you both follow Jesus, boom, pop that ring on, get married, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys agree with that? Like if you both follow Jesus, that's all you need. Uh, I disagree with that. Same. <laughs> yeah. Tell us why you disagree. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I I have incredible guy friends that I would love to live life with and, you know, just hang out with, do my thing, do ministry together. But I'm, I'm not going to want to marry them. I mean, just because we both love Jesus, there are so many other factors. They don't that make go enough money it. for you, or what? Yeah, actually, that's it. Um, don't make enough money. Oh, <laughs> I can't even go down the street. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think yes, Jesus should be the foundation of a relationship, and and down the road of a marriage. But I I don't think that's the only factor that you have to bring into account. Just like the way that I choose my friends. Um, like even just like my girlfriends, you know, like, Hey, there are some people that I get along with and some personalities that I don't get as get along with as well, you know? And so I think the same works in relationships. Like you're going to get along with people, um, better with some personalities or some traits, and then you're going to get along with people and better with other traits. So. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would also disagree for all those statements for a lot more, but even I would even step into the realm that this person is coming from and think about marriage is a very, uh, there's a lot of practical things that come within it and things that you ought to be considering. You know, if you're wanting to date somebody, you're in a relationship dating somebody and it could be that there's a extremely godly person, um, who you kind of get along with, or maybe that you really get along with, but practically, if you join both of your lives together, there's like, yes, it could work out if Jesus is in the center, of course, but there are like a lot of hard rubs. It's like, man, this, this almost doesn't make sense. Even just like looking at those things, whether it's, uh, views on how how you should raise a family and, uh, views on what, like we should live, you know, they're wanting to go overseas and, and I'm wanting to stay here. And, and you're both kind of in a position where like, I'm unwilling to, to meet in the middle on that. It's like, those are okay. Those are very practical decisions. That's like, well, don't link up with somebody. If you're just going to be fighting over a lot of those things all the time. Uh, there's a Bible scholar who, uh, he helps lead this organization called the center for, uh, faith and, uh, sexuality. And he, he talked about this one time, how a, a couple who was pretty seriously dating, they're talking about getting engaged, came up to them like, Hey, we're thinking about getting engaged. We're really excited. What do you think? And he asked them this question, why are y'all getting married? And they're like, Oh, well, we just love each other. Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, so, 
And what he was trying to do was get them to think about these things that uh, even scripturally, it's that, you know, again, there's so much nuance, but whenever Paul, again, referencing him talking about purpose and thinking about stage of life, um, if we're thinking about joining our life together with somebody, we ought to be thinking about our, is us coming together going to help both of us pursue God more and advance the kingdom more than if we were apart? If not, you probably shouldn't get married. That's good. Yeah. 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 Um, and honestly, just like you spend a lot of time and do a lot of life <laughs> with the person you marry. And I don't know, like it as great as it, it's great to have that, that core beliefs that we're both, we both love the Lord and that we follow him and serve him with our lives. But it is important to some degree, like to be like friends with that person, enjoy spending time with that person. Um, and to like really have, I think a friendship relationship, like that's a really big deal too. And also coming down like to the practical things. Like I feel like so many, a lot of disagreements in marriage are about like small practical. Well, do we eat dinner together tonight? Or like, do we like, we had, we had this argument that was like, I, to me, I was like, Oh, intimacy is when we like sit and have dinner, like together on the couch and we can like look at each other and it's casual and we can talk. But Ethan was like, Ethan's my husband. He was like, no, like we sit at the table and like we we like talk to each other because that's what my family did growing up and that's really important to me. But to me, I like, so there's these small disagreements that aren't even about like the core beliefs of like your faith or anything, but that's kind of what comes up more often than not. And you do to some degree want to have a like a compatibility with this person, I think just in lifestyle um, that, is outside of, just practically speaking, outside yeah. of faith. Like, what would you say? Yeah, Josh? no, no, I, I agree with all three of you. I think if the question was, can two Jesus followers get married and make it work? I'd say, yeah, of, of course. If, if that central theme of, of Jesus is the center of my life, I'm like, my life is committed to him. Can you make it work? For sure. Is it going to be so difficult if you're not compatible like, yes, like mm-hmm. it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be, there's going to be like lots of growing pains, mm-hmm. ministry and missions, whether that's vocational ministry or ministry in the workplace or ministry in your family is just going to be way, way harder. Yeah. And there's going to be lots of setbacks. And so I'm just like, Hey, don't, don't make this more difficult than it needs to be. Don't settle for marrying someone just because you're like, well, I'm in my mid to late twenties and all my friends are getting married. And so first Christian guy or first Christian girl that I find, like, let's just do it. Don't settle. Use this single season well. And if someone that is compatible, both spiritually, emotionally, relationally, like lifestyle wise comes along, then start having those conversations. But don't just think like, okay, they're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's get married. Like your life, that's going to make your life very, very difficult. And so it doesn't have to be like that. So that's just our own opinions, I'd say. And so for sake of time, I know we could talk a lot more about this. For sake of time, we're going to skip to our, our very last question. We get this one a lot. What does fellowship 
believe about women teaching or, or women as elders or women uh, in, in the church? Oh, man, look at the time. Great question, but we just ran out of time. And so I guess, oh, it's the end of the season. And so we can't, can't talk about this. Honestly, on a serious note, we do want to talk about this. We do know this is important. But this is kind of a teaser, a spoiler for next season. So next season in the spring, we're going to have a whole season where we take passages in the Bible that are tough, controversial. We're going to talk about genocide in the Bible. We're going to talk about creation. We're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about women in teaching roles. We're going to talk about all these things through the lens of a specific passage that's tricky or controversial. And that's what's going to be our next season. So you're going to have to wait until then for some more answers. But until then, grace Grace and peace. peace.